guys. Good morning. I saw some dancing, mostly led by my husband, who started the whole dancing to that bumper to begin with. So thank you, Chris. I knew someone would be dancing by the end. It was you. Good morning, guys. It's good to be with you again this morning to wrap up our series on wisdom. Wisdom. This series continues to be challenging <laughs> and affirming um, because I think we're all aware of how much we need wisdom in our lives, in our world. This is such an important conversation. And so today we're going to talk about a journey towards wisdom. We've kind of been talking about that all along, but today we're going to talk about it in a different framework. And um, this journey towards wisdom. I don't propose to call myself wise, right? We've talked about that. But I do believe that I'm in the process of becoming wise, just like I think we all are if we choose to be in the process of becoming wise. Because we choose to value the pursuit of wisdom, God honors that right? And he has called us to that process. He has called us to that process as his children as a, as a whole, but he's also called our church to that process right now, okay? And so that's why we're going to talk about it. Now, I have to tell you guys, it's been a bit of a crazy week in our family. And it's been such a crazy week in our family that while I'm standing up here telling you that I'm like on the journey to wisdom, I have questioned in my mind, <laughs> Am I on the journey to wisdom or have I lost my mind completely? Because as most of you know, I think we decided to move. Uh, we decided to sell our home and move in with my parents to live with them, help take care of them, things of that nature. And, you know, that already sounds crazy enough. But then this week, well, there was just so many circumstances that happened in our week that really it made me question if I'm really on this journey of becoming wise. It started out with the hurricane, of course, because why wouldn't there be a hurricane on the week that you decide to move? That's fun. So it led to a lot of challenges, such as having to move our closing date. We lost a giant tree in our backyard, so now they have to do another inspection on our home. So it was, that was all a little bit crazy, right? But that's fine. Then we hired movers. We hired movers to actually move like the main bulk of our stuff because we knew it was going to be a challenging move, okay? My, our house is a two-story house. We're moving into a three-story house, and most of our stuff was going like on the third level of the three-story house because we're moving in with my parents. So like, you know, our rooms are going to be on top. And I tried to tell the movers about these situations, such as the stairs that are very narrow and like... Chris's office is basically like a secret room, like through a door and like there's a very narrow hallway and then you have to pass the furniture like over a countertop to get it into the room. And I tried to like tell the, the people, but I don't think they understood. And basically it took them three times as long as they estimated that it would take, which meant three times the price. And also like... These guys were working so hard. I feel like they will tell their grandchildren, really, about <laughs> this moving day. We will go down in their lore of this probably the craziest move, move they've ever had. Okay, so that was, what day was that? What day is it? I don't know. I think it was Thursday that we moved. Thursday night, we had all our stuff in the new house, and we were like, I mean, nothing was settled, but it was in there, okay? And I was getting ready to put the kids to bed, and Kayla comes up to me, and she's like, Mom, I don't mean to scare you, but I saw a spider in my room. And I'm like, oh, that's okay, spiders, we'll get it. And then she proceeds to tell me about this spider, and I was like, this big, 
And she saw it like crawl out of something and into something else. And she wouldn't go in her room, which don't blame the kid. I wouldn't go in that room either if there was a spider that big. So we sent the spider hunter, Chris, into the room. You guys, after like two hours of hunting this spider, he did indeed find the spider, and it was indeed that big. And so that was a situation. Now here's the thing about the spider. When the moving guys were moving, they wanted to like leave the doors open to the balcony because they were bringing it up the outside stairs and in, in through the balcony door, and they wanted to leave the doors open. Now there's a rule in my parents' house that you don't leave doors open, right? I'm thinking, because of the air conditioning, we don't want to like cool the Florida, so we close the doors. But the guys were so tired, and I felt so bad. I was like, sure, leave the doors open. And in the back of my mind, I heard this voice saying, don't leave the doors open, that's not a good choice. But I said yes anyway. And what did we get? A spider. That's what we got. Yes, we did. Okay, then, was it that night? I think it was that night we were having dinner. We ate dinner together. And then the children wanted dessert, and I didn't have dessert because I hadn't gotten groceries yet. So I was like, you have Halloween candy. Go ahead, get your Halloween candy. And Kayla wanted to eat a Tootsie Roll. And in the back of my mind, I heard this voice saying, Tootsie Rolls aren't good for your teeth. That's not a good choice. But it was moving day, and I was like, sure, eat the Tootsie Roll. So we're sitting at the table, <laughs> and suddenly I look over at Kayla, and she's handing me something. Oh, it's a tooth. There's a tooth in her hand that wasn't loose. It wasn't a loose tooth. The Tootsie Roll took it out, and there's blood boring out of her mouth. And this is how we had our first night in the new house. And at this time, I'm questioning my wisdom because it was a pretty rough day. <laughs> it was a pretty rough couple days. And, oh, also, tip, pro tip. If you take a house that's full of things and belongings and 10 years of possessions and you move all of those things into a house that's already full of 25 years of furniture and belongs in possessions, it doesn't all fit. So that's also a situation we've been facing. Okay, so as I've said, as I'm sitting in the bathroom on our first night there holding my daughter with blood pouring out of her mouth, I'm wondering and questioning my life choices in general, I'm wondering really, am I on this path of wisdom or have I veered, <laughs> have I veered somewhere else? So a lot of these experiences this week and others <laughs> gave, me, gave me pause about my own wisdom. And I'm asking myself, was this really a good idea? Should we wait? Should we like not move during a hurricane? Is that like an unwise thing to do? And why are we doing this in a pandemic? Because that's gonna make our life more complicated. And why didn't I tell those movers to close those doors? And why did I let Kayla eat that Tootsie Roll? And all of this stuff that I'm torturing myself with because I didn't feel like I made great choices on some things. Now, I wish I had like a grand ending to this story that could be like, but then the sun shone bright and I've all was well. Is, we're not at that point yet. We're still, we're still in the process. I'm in a bit of a daze, to be honest with you guys. <laughs> but here's what I do know. Wisdom has a lot less to do with our immediate circumstances and the things that happen to us and a lot more to do with the big picture direction of our lives and how we respond to the things that happen to us right? And the reality is that in my story, even though I might have been questioning some of my decisions, and I might have a lot of things to learn still, right? 
I don't doubt the choices that we've made. I don't. I don't doubt the love that we have for my parents and the hope that we have in this story continuing to go well. And I don't doubt that we'll battle through these circumstances and find a new normal for our family. It's more about the big picture trajectory of the story than it is about the little circumstances along the way. So that's, about, that's enough about me for the moment. I will circle back to that story in a minute. So last week, we talked about a formula for wisdom. Now, if you didn't catch the message, I do encourage you to listen to it because we're only going to briefly reference that formula today. But the number one thing I'm going to tell you about this formula is that we are all aware wisdom cannot be boiled down into a formula, right? This is a small framework for beginning a conversation about wisdom. But let's not forget the first two weeks of this series in which we talked about the more mysterious, mystical side of wisdom because we have to have that too, right? So if you didn't um, catch the message, I want to remind you of the formula. And it looks like this. Wisdom equals knowledge plus discernment plus trust. Add all those things together. And then you times it by the action, right? Because remember, first we have to have knowledge about ourselves and about the world in order to make wise choices. And then we have to have discernment, right? Because when our knowledge is conflicting about things, we have to have discernment to help us make a choice. And then we have to have trust, right? To trust the heart of God towards us. To trust that wisdom alone is not the recipe for our happiness or our success or our joy. It's not, right? Wisdom might still lead us to painful circumstances totally might. In fact, it will, right? But the trust is in the love of God for us, and the trust is in the knowledge that we are living in the one true narrative of redemption, regardless of circumstance. Then we have to have action. Action, right? As Stephen Covey puts it, to know and not to do is not to know. So we might know the wise choices in the back of our heads, but if we don't actually take the action and do those wise things, we're not practicing wisdom. So today, we're going to take this formula, and we're going to look at some steps that we can take along this journey to wisdom, okay? And we're going to look at a lot of scripture today, because I don't want you to have to take my word for these steps, because the Bible has a whole lot to say about it. And I really love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Proverbs 2 in the message. So we're going to read this as we begin. He says, Good friend, take to heart what I'm telling you. Collect my counsels and guard them with your life. Tune your ears to the world of wisdom. Set your heart on a life of understanding. That's right. If you make insight your priority and won't take no for an answer, searching for it like a prospector panning for gold, like an adventurer on a treasure hunt. Believe me, before you know it, fear of God will be yours. You'll have come upon the knowledge of God. And here's why. God gives out wisdom, free, is plain spoken in knowledge and understanding. He's a rich mine of common sense for those who live well, a personal bodyguard to the candid and sincere. 
He keeps his eye on all who live honestly and pays special attention to his loyally committed ones. So now you can pick out what's true and fair, find all the good trails. Lady Wisdom will be your close friend and Brother Knowledge your pleasant companion. Good sense will scout ahead for danger. Insight will keep an eye out for you. They'll keep you from making wrong turns or following bad directions of those who are lost themselves and can't tell a trail from a tumbleweed. I think that's a pretty cool way to look at this journey towards wisdom, right? It says, where does it call it? <laughs> the quest, the quest for wisdom, like a prospector panning for gold, like an adventurer on a treasure hunt. That wisdom, that chokmah, that spirit of God that dwells inside of us and helps us make wise choices, it's a treasure. It's a holy gift, and we are invited on this journey. So let's talk about some steps along the way. I'm going to make them quick. Number one, desire wisdom. Desire it. Coming back to the very beginning of this conversation about wisdom, because in order to even begin this journey, we have to want it. We have to desire wisdom and value it. Here's what the writer of Proverbs tells us about that. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and happy are those who hold her tightly. So number one, embrace, or, or sorry, desire wisdom. Then number two, embrace the mystery. This is what Brett talked to us about. The wisdom of God is grounded and rooted in this place of embracing the reality that we'll never understand at all. If we're going to be wise, we have to start there. We have to start with that trust. Remember what Brett read to us from Ephesians 19. It says, may you know this love that surpasses knowledge. Surpasses it, right? that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. The mystery is what the writers of Ecclesiastes and Job were talking about because we can't just look at Proverbs and be like, oh yes, if I just do all of these things and make these wise choices, I shall be happy and walk down the easy paths of life. No, that's true sometimes, but not all the times, right? And we have to embrace the mystery that it's not always that easy, Okay. Even if we make wise choices, it's not everything. But do you know what is everything? God's love for us, right? The love that rescues us and redeems us from our foolishness. The love that conquers the armies of hell to pay the price for our freedom. The love that makes all things new and restored in the end. And if we're going to be wise, we have to embrace that mystery. We cannot be blown around by the winds of our circumstance because if we are, we won't be rooted. So think for a moment with me about the wisest characters you know in the stories that you love, okay? The ones that you like, the characters in the story always turn to 
for like the advice, the sages. I'm thinking of Gandalf. I'm thinking of Dumbledore. I'm thinking of Yoda. I'm thinking of Mufasa. I'm thinking of Engelman. And if you know who Engelman is, you're super cool. Okay? But these people, they are very wise. And they can be trusted to like, if you you went up to Yoda or to Mufasa or to Gandalf and you asked them some advice about what to do with your life, they would probably give you wise counsel, right? But do you know why we really trust these guys? It's not just because they're going to tell us wise things. It's because it seems like they know something that we don't quite know. They get something. There's some piece of the story that they trust differently than we do. They have a piece in themselves. They're rooted to some truth. And that makes us trust their wisdom in a different way. And it comes from a great knowing. It comes from a great trust in something bigger than themselves or their choices or their story. And that's the deepest and truest wisdom of all. That's the kind of wisdom that I want to have one day. So then step number three is to ask God for wisdom. Ask him, right? We want it, we embrace the mystery, and then we ask him. And he tells us this over and over and over. I could read a hundred verses about it. I'll read two. We've read these before. James 1.5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And then our memory verse that we've been learning this series, for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And we can't miss this step. We can't go off on some quest for our own wisdom and forget to ask the source for wisdom. Okay? Because remember what it really is. It's the chokmah. It's the spirit of God alive in us. Then step number four, study the scriptures, right? Study the scriptures. There's so much wisdom. There's so much to learn. Proverbs 1, 5 through 6 says, Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Have you ever had the experience of a part of the Bible coming alive for you. Maybe it's a verse that your parents have read a bunch of times or your pastor has read a bunch of times or you've read a bunch of times and you know the words, but suddenly you hear it in a different context and it means everything in that moment, right? Those are the kind of experiences that we have as we journey towards wisdom, okay? And it transforms us as we engage the scriptures, as we ask God for wisdom and then we read his words. Because we can't hope to truly call ourselves wise if we're not reading the scriptures that God has left for us. Then number five, study the works of wise people. Now, I learned this one from my dad. If I want to become wise, I've got to study wisdom. I don't want to have to learn everything for myself, right? I don't want to have to, the only knowledge for me to come by my own experience because that would really limit my base of knowledge. It would really limit my access to experience. So if I want to become wise, I need to study the works of wise people and that can be from a wide array of input, right? I will tell you guys, I used to read a lot of fiction when I was younger, 
But the last 10 years or so, I am drawn to read the works of wise people, to read their interpretation of wisdom and truth because it helps me to become wiser. It helps me to learn things that I couldn't learn on my own or I wouldn't learn on my own. I don't have a life experience to learn. If I want to be wise, I need to study those words, right? Dr. Seuss said, the more you read, the more things you will know. And the more that you learn, the more places you'll go. Then number six, spend time with wise people. Spend time with wise people, right? Proverbs 13.20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Do you know what that means? A companion of fools suffers harm? It means if we're hanging out with people who don't make wise choices, we are also going to feel the consequences of that. We will suffer. We will experience harm. Now, I learned this one from my dad, too. We become like the people that we choose to hang around. We do. There's a zillion studies. I'm sure I've shared it with you guys before. Like, basically, we are an equation of the five people that we're around most of the time in terms of finances, in terms of body weight, like all different kinds of things. We become like the people who we hang around. It's very true. It is an, an inevitable reality of human existence. Okay. Now, what I mean by this is I don't just mean go find the wise sages, go find the Gandalfs and befriend them and hang out with them all the time. Like that would be cool. And if we know somebody who's really wise like that, it would be amazing to spend personal time with them. But this piece is more about the people that we hang around all the time, our friend group, our community. If we are around people who are choosing the pursuit of wisdom, it's going to affect us. It's going to help us become wiser. And if we are around people who are not, the scripture says a companion of fools suffers harm. It is true. I could tell lots of stories about it. I'll be brief today. A companion of fools suffers harm. Number seven, learn from your own life experiences. Now, this is a tough one, right? It's also a really important one. It's probably like the number one way besides like asking God, right? Because sometimes we can know a thing but not be wise about a thing. Like me, for example, okay? I knew in the back of my mind to not leave that door open for the movers. I knew it, but I didn't do it. I don't know why I didn't do it. It was some kind of empathy is my excuse, but like I knew it was not a wise choice and I did it anyway and we suffered a consequence. But I can tell you this, it won't happen again. <laughs> I will remember this time, right? Because this is a big situation. I will remember, I won't let it happen again, right? Same thing with the Tootsie Roll. I knew that was not a good choice for her teeth. We've got teeth issues, and teeth to me are like second to feet, by the way. Feet are the worst. Teeth are the second worst. I did not know that until I had children, and I had children, and I can't, I just I really have struggles with teeth. No more Tootsie Rolls. This is my rule forever. <laughs> okay, these are funny things, but seriously, these things happen with serious things too, right? And we can know that something is the right choice, 
and then we don't do it. And then we suffer a consequence, right? And you know what? We could beat ourselves up about that for a long time. Or we could say, I'm going to learn from this experience because now I have felt the pain of it firsthand. It wasn't just something that someone told me and then I didn't do it. I have, I have done this thing. I have felt the consequence of it. So next time, I'm going to make a different choice. And that is the journey towards wisdom. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. That's good. That's growth. That's the journey, right? Hebrews 12 says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Now this is a passage that I come back to again and again in my life. When things feel hard, when my choices have led to difficulties, or sometimes when they weren't my choices but I'm still facing difficulties, I come back to this because this is wisdom. That if we choose to learn from our experiences, if we choose to trust God's heart for us, then there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. That is wisdom, right? That's what, that's what you could say about Engelman or Gandalf or Yoda. They're living in this peaceful harvest of right living. Okay? And we can journey towards that place too. And then I love what this says, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we're just super exhausted, right? We're super exhausted of our circumstances. We're not sure about our choices. And we're tired of learning, <laughs> right? But there's this encouragement to say, there is a peaceful harvest of right living. So take a new grip. Take a new grip. Strengthen your weak knees and continue on the journey. Then there's number eight. It's a really important one. Actually, this is probably more important than the last one. Cultivate a practice of stillness, solitude, and silence. Now, we've talked about this a lot around here. We're going to keep talking about it because if we don't keep talking about it, we trend towards forgetting it, right? God speaks. God speaks to you. And if you aren't creating the space to hear him, then you're missing the wisdom that he wants to give you. That is the truth. Remember back to our still series when we studied the story of Elijah. And Elijah was going through a really tough time. And one day he came to a point where he had to collapse. He collapsed under the broom tree and he rested. And then he journeyed through the desert to the mountain, to the top of the mountain. And then here is what happened in 1 Kings. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came the gentle whisper. That gentle whisper, after everything has been shaken and burned and broken, that's the voice of wisdom. That's the voice of love, asking for our trust, asking for our embrace of the truth that he wants to say to us. So the question today, as we think about this step number eight, this practice of stillness and solitude and silence, the question is, what does God have to say to you in the gentle whisper? I was at a pastor breakfast last week, and we were invited to write a postcard from God to us. And it was, you know, you think you know what God would, like, say to you, and then you actually take the 10 minutes to sit there in the silence and, like, listen. And it was very beautiful. So we're not going to do that today, but we're going to take one minute today to sit in the silence and listen. Because the truth is that God does speak. And he does grant wisdom if we ask. And so I'm going to ask us to take one minute. I know it's going to be awkward for you online, but we can manage. Think about, and maybe you could send yourself an email or you could just think in your mind. Kids, you guys have a space to write it on your sheet. One sentence of wisdom that God wants to say to you today. What is God saying to you? seems simple to sit in the quiet. But I think a lot of times we can let a lot of days go by without choosing to do it. And it matters. It affects our choices. It affects our health. And it certainly affects our wisdom. This practice of choosing to sit in that space with God every day is vital to coming to that place where we're rooted in that peace, like the Gandalfs and the Dumbledores and the Yodas, where we're rooted to some truth that's bigger than us in our circumstances and our stories. And it takes that stillness to find it. So I encourage all of us to continue that practice. Then step number nine, develop discernment now. That's like, <laughs> oh, sure, just mark that off the list. 
Well, obviously, that's a lifetime of growth, right, to develop discernment. But here's the thing. This is not step number one, right? This is step number nine. And as we do all of these other things, asking God for wisdom and embracing the mystery and reading and studying and listening, those things develop discernment in us. That's, that's what it looks like to grow in our wisdom, okay? Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now there's that word testing again. Remember we talked about that word last week? It means welcome. That by welcoming everything, the good things, the hard things, all the circumstances of life, as we welcome them, then we can discern what is good and pleasing and acceptable to God. And that happens by the transformation, by the renewal of our mind, by the process of all of these things we've talked about before, by, the, by Christ coming alive in us. That's what builds us to that place where we can discern the will of God and act on it. Now, number 10 is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. This is really the most important one. I think every time it boils back down to this, right? Because we can do all of those other things, but if we're not at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day looking to Jesus for his example, for his guidance, we're likely to miss the path of wisdom, right? Because he is the source. Here's what he said to the Jewish leaders of his day. He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. That's pretty pointed, what Jesus said. I would think he would want us to read the Bible, and he does, right? But if we are sitting in the scriptures thinking that all our answers will be found there, we're missing the most important piece, which is that relationship with him. He is the source of wisdom. So yesterday, the day before, Brenna and I were cleaning out drawers in her new room. And her new room is my old room from when I lived in this house 20 years ago. And so we were going through some old jewelry that I had as a teenager. And we found this WWJD bracelet. Some of you guys may remember those. It stands for What Would Jesus Do, kids, okay? And they were very cool when I was a teenager. I don't know if they were very cool. <laughs> they were more cool than they are now. I don't know. Anyways, Brenna asked me what it meant. So I told her what it meant. She thought that was great. And it was a catchphrase of the day, you know, that kind of got abused. But the heart behind it points to a really important question, right? What would Jesus do? And when we ask the quest this question, it's not about what Jesus 2,000 years ago, this historical figure would do? That's not the question we're asking. I mean, we can. We can study his life and use it as a model for our own. That's really, really great. 
But the more important, more pertinent, more personal question is, what would Jesus in here do? Jesus inside me, sitting in this situation at this moment, what would Jesus do? And I think if we ask ourselves that question, we are well on our way to the path of wisdom. So the band can come up. We're going to sing one last song. As we look to Jesus, and as we consider our lives and our stories at this moment, and ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? Jesus in here. Jesus living this experience with us. What would he do? We're going to sing a song called, Is He Worthy? And you guys, we've sung it a couple times. But, you know, this conversation about wisdom is so important. But we, can get, we could get a little sidetracked in it. We could get a little shame-based. We could. Or at least a little bit of trying to earn our way, trying to make the right decisions so that we do things right, so that we end up with happy lives. And, and we don't want to go that direction. We have to stay rooted to the truest part of the story, which is that God loves us. And God redeems all the broken things and all the foolish choices if we allow him to. So as we sing this song, I invite you to think about that question. What would Jesus do? And then I invite you to think about the questions that this song asks and to sing them with us, sing the answers with us, and apply these questions to the places in your life where you're asking God for wisdom because I believe he will answer.